Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it uh, open up to Proverbs chapter 5. Um, America's most flexible church rolls on. Here we are again. Yes. Uh, we encourage all to attend. If you can find us, you can come to church here at NBC. So we're, we're grateful to have. And I, I just want to say again what a blessing it is to have uh, a group of people that are as flexible as this church is, who keeps their attitudes good too. They don't even just grin and bear it all the time. Or even if you are outwardly, uh, you're cheery. Uh, you're saying uh, you're, you're grateful for the fellowship that we've got together. Uh, and so I just want to say a word of thanks. Every week is a new a new challenge. Sometimes we've got a band. Sometimes we've got a little band. Sometimes we have almost no band. Sometimes we're over here. Sometimes we're over there. You know, and, and you guys just roll with the punches. Uh, and so my heart is full of gratitude today for the, the church that I'm blessed to, to serve in. So uh, God bless everybody this morning. I'm thankful for that. That's okay. You know, clap, clap for God. God's, uh, God's bringing us on our great pilgrimage uh, to Grand Avenue. Uh, hopefully in a matter of uh, six or seven months we will be there. And uh, in the meantime, we're just going to keep praising and we're going to keep learning and keep uh, studying the Word of God. So I do need a disclaimer today. We're, doing, we're in a series called Timeless. And we're looking at the timeless truths for life at home. Now, some of you were forewarned last week. This is a week where we're going to be talking about sex. Okay. So let me just say, for those of you who are parents, yeah, you say that. Never mind, I won't crack. There was a really good joke. There was a great joke, and I just, I let it go. But if you want to ask me what it was later, I'll tell you in the hallway. Um, I'm getting better. I used to, I used, I used, in former life, I would have said that out loud. So I'm glad that, uh, that I didn't. Uh, but if you have a child, this is going to be preached at about a PG-11 or so level. Uh, if there are certain conversations you have not had with your child yet, uh, then I'll be having them with them soon if you don't get them out of here and take them to children's ministry. We have a great children's ministry. If that's a big deal to you, then uh, by all means... Uh, take them and um, avail yourself of our children's ministry this morning. But another thing that we're doing today is we are honoring our graduating seniors. <laughs> so one of the traditions here at New Vintage Church about every two or three years is, uh, you know, I have this ongoing thing that I've never been invited to actually give a commencement speech. And uh, it kind of hurts my feelings, really. You know, you do this for a living and you think that at some point people will you know, maybe give you a shot, you know, at least a, you know, Christian school or something might say, hey, you know, there's a pastor over there, maybe I'll invite him to be the commencement speaker, but it's never happened. Uh, so I decided I'd write one for this morning, actually. Uh, it's not very long, but I thought I might write one and you tell me uh, how you think. So raise your hand if you're a graduating senior. I have a spotlight in my face. There's one there. There's one doing sound today, one over here. We got like four in the house today, four or five. All right. We got some others. Well, this is to you, okay? This is for your benefit. Um, and uh, so, so, so everybody pay very careful attention. This is a big moment for me, okay? So, um, Principal Watkins, I just made up a name. Superintendent Nelson, another made up name. Esteemed faculty, honored guests, exhausted students. I am honored to speak to you today. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the graduating class, Today is the first day of the rest of your life, until tomorrow. Today you take a giant step, a quantum leap, a bold foray into an unknown future. It is for you to decide whether you will go with the flow, go where the wind blows, take the path of least resistance, strike out on the road not taken, 
Because you'll find that life is in fact like a box of chocolates. It's not a game. It's no bowl of cherries. As an obscure Greek poet once said, you only go around once in life, so you must grab all the gusto. Unless you believe in reincarnation, which we don't. But if you did, in that case, you could grab some gusto now and a little bit more the next time around. But I say to you, sisters and brothers, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Not to decide is to decide. It's nice to be important, but it's even more important to be nice. So strike while the iron is hot. Give it all you've got. Make lemonade. Don't take any wooden nickels. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And don't forget to vote. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but you teach him how to fish, you have fed him for life. Although he may get tired of fish. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a lot of love to make a house a home. And it takes one to know one. And there's no such thing as a free lunch unless you caught it legally because somebody taught you how to fish. So get out there. Do you get out there, grab the world by the tail, find your way out of that wet paper bag. Grip it. Rip it. You have nothing to fear but fear itself. Your mission is to boldly go. Or go boldly. Per correct grammar. To go boldly where no man is, or woman has gone before. So reach for the stars. Dream the impossible dream. Follow your bliss. Make us proud. Make enough money to pay your parents back. <laughs> then you will be able to look at the person in the mirror and you can say, I have done my best. I have fought the good fight. I have made a difference. I am Spartacus. <laughs> Carpe diem, caveat emptor, e pluribus unum, hakuna matata. I say. <laughs> All right, that's my best shot at it. Here we go. All right, thank you. To the graduating class, to Juliana, to, to Juliana and Emily and Alejandro in the back and Emily's boyfriend. God bless you as you head into your next, your next chapter of life. Well, I laugh, but also a lot of the advice that we give one another sounds a little bit like that. We talk about being true to yourselves, about living your best life. You live your truth. All we need is love. Love is all you need. Hakuna Matata. Right? Dream the impossible dream. Whatever. Little cliches, little things, little, little slogans that we're supposed to live by. Focus on your family. Blah, 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 blah. And it's so almost right. But it only takes about 10 degrees off and then going for some length to be way off. So it is with the way that we talk about sex in the world. We've really made a true mess of ourselves, of the world we're living in when it comes to sexuality. Uh, the Bible's teaching, contrary to what many may hear these days or what many may say, actually rather clearly and consistently teaches that sex is a very beautiful thing created by God to be enjoyed between a man and a woman within the covenant relationship of marriage. And all other claims to that fact are, at best, wishful thinking. The Bible's uh, teaching is actually fairly clear. Now, even at a casual glance, if we take one at the mess that we've made with our kind of laissez-faire of approach to sexual ethics, I'll put it in air quotes, uh, you'd think that we might actually return to biblical teaching at some point, or at least give it a consideration, because it's not like we've done a great job. Think about all the different societal problems. Let's do a little dreaming, shall we? 
all the societal problems, that if everybody just went with that one teaching, was obedient fully to that, how the world would change in an instant. County supervisor's office says there are 11, 000, north of 11,000 sexually trafficked victims in this county. Average age is 16. So that goes away. You know, you start thinking about pornography. Three of the top eight websites or porn sites that beats Instagram, Twitter, a whole bunch of other pretty popular websites. Prostitution, gone. Marriages that were broken or hurt by adultery. It's not an issue anymore. Broken relationships because somebody was unfaithful. Gone. Crimes of passion. Gone. I mean, think about the dent that would be put in poverty. More children grow up in two parent, with two parents in the house. All the things that go with the, some of the problems that are root causes within the world we live in as it pertains to poverty. Sexual assault. Gone. Harassment. Gone. Even the more grievous sins that we commit against each other, abuse and such, gone. In all likelihood, abortion's not an issue. STDs wouldn't exist. Extortion and blackmail would decrease. National politics could be transformed for lack of scandal and the ability to weaponize sexual sin. All just like that, with one, one commitment to obedience. If everybody would do it. The implications are pretty staggering, actually. But instead of that, we're going to do what's good right in our own eyes. Because that produces great results. That's the way that we've approached this thing. Rather than listen to the author of sex, the one who created it, gave it to us as a gift, um, we decide that we're going to do it our own way. So what shall we do? Let's go back to Scripture this morning. The series is about kind of a central claim that the eternal is greater than the latest. Now, let me begin with this, okay? That sex is both more and less than we make of it. It's more than a casual thing or a way of fulfilling our desires, but it's far less than a form of identity. When somebody says, I am, and they use that phrase to introduce themselves and then they follow it with who they're attracted to or a sexual orientation, that's false. What the Bible would say is, no, you're a Christian. And then those other things, that's a matter of who you're attracted to, etc., etc. It's not an identity. We are more than who we are attracted to. Now, having said that, let's not excuse ourselves for being part of the confusion. I'm going to take you on a very brief tour because I've kind of given you this is where we are. I'm about to give you like where the Bible taught, but I'm going to kind of start at the end and then go backward. This is like that movie Inception or whatever, where the whole movie's backward. We're going to do that today. We started where we are. Now I'm going to backfill... I'm going to use church history to get us back all the way to the Bible and say, let's just go back to the root of the tree, okay? But the church has sent its own mixed messages, and we're part of the problem about sex. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 would be one example. We're going to read it in a bit. Uh, but that's one that really lifts up sex as something that's beautiful and wonderful. Uh, Song of Solomon is a, is a book. Uh, it's the romance novel of Scripture. It's almost steamy. You could put it that way. We're going to read an excerpt from that later. Uh, so the church has this, but uh, it has this difficulty with obedience to the text. So what ends up happening is some of your great uh, 
you know, even people that are classified as saints throughout history, Augustine, Jerome, people like that, really, really struggle with this. Augustine struggles so much, in fact, um, that he begins to claim, and he's, he's, that's as far back as we're going to go. That's not too far after the conclusion of the New Testament canon is all put together and everything. Uh, he connects the transmission of sin with the act of intercourse and proclaims that sex for any purpose other than conception is a sin. And in fact, he claims, he actually expresses regret that God ever created sex to begin with. His contemporary, Jerome, uh, went a lot further. He was plagued by uh, what he says in his writings, bands of dancing girls in his head. Uh, and he can't get them out of there. And so in order for him to do it, he sequesters himself and devotes himself to spending uh, years and years and years translating the Bible into Latin. So the Latin Vulgate's created... And a lot of people don't know that that's actually the backstory of it, but it was Jerome trying to get his sexual fantasies out of his head. But he goes as far as to say uh, that anybody who is too passionate a lover with his own wife is himself an adulterer. Now, I like to joke, having been a former seminary student, that if you do want to kill your sex drive, then the biblical languages and the study thereof is a great way to do it. <laughs> it, it does work. I can testify to that. That's how Jerome got by. Now, the, the succeeding centuries after that, church authorities start coming up with edicts, kind of the modern-day Pharisees of their time. Pharisees in the Bible, you know, they're kind of the, uh, the homeowners association of Scripture. They kind of go around just, you know, making up rules for people and making sure nobody paints their garage beige or whatever. And they just kind of go around doing those things. Well, that, that, when the Pharisees of Scripture are done, it doesn't mean people stop being legalists and stop applying rules that Scripture never really talks about. So edicts start coming forth from church authorities. No sex on Thursdays. That was the day of Christ's arrest. On Fridays, it was the day of his death. On Saturdays, in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary. On Sundays, in honor of the departed saints. On Wednesdays, that even made the, the list too, on occasion, depending on the Wednesday. Then they came up with 40-day fast periods of everything. Food, sex, everything before Easter, Christmas, Pentecost. Also, Feast days and the days of the apostles, as well as the days of female impurity. So the list escalates to the point that historian John Boswell says there were 44 days of the year that you were allowed to have sex out of 365. Okay. So we're all owe Martin Luther a debt of gratitude. Okay. Because he steps in and he goes, where do we get that? Like, where does the Bible forbid us to have sex on all those days? And so he calls the church back to that. But then the HOA of Scripture or, or outside Scripture kicks in again, and they start putting things. So the slate gets wiped clean, and then all of a sudden now we're back to strapping things on to people, binding things on people that God never bound. So it just keeps going to the point that in the 19th century, the Spanish priests uh, are said to be worried of, of chili peppers. They say that uh, chili is an aphrodisiac, that it's the devil's soup is what they call it. Soup of the devil. Post-Luther, it seems like the church kind of then begins to say less and less and less and less. It's almost like they get tired of conflict about the subject. Like they don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, I can relate to that. I'm well aware of the fact that even talking about it this morning makes people uncomfortable. The world we're living in, nobody wants to talk about it very much. But have you noticed the correlation between what we don't talk about and how badly we sin at things? Yep. What, do, what do people now want to hear about in church? Sex is one. Now, some of you do. Some of you are going, Barbara, that's the best church I've ever been to after church today. Okay? Yeah, I've been looking for a church like this since our wedding day or whatever, right? 
So this is, some of you will love it, some of you will hate it, all right? But we don't want to talk about sex, okay, that's one. Number two, we don't like talking about money, right? How are we doing with those things? Right? So at some point, what ended up happening was new challenges kind of arose and church kind of just surrenders the pulpit to the culture. Small concessions. Didn't have a whole lot to say. Except don't have sex till you're married. That tended to be kind of the thing. And then when I was growing up, we kind of went the apologetics route, which always usually fails miserably in the end. Because it became, hey, if you have sex when you're before you're married, you're going to get somebody pregnant or you're going to get AIDS. Well, the condom took care of that argument. And you had all of the, you're not left with a whole lot. Rather than coming, coming back to the foundational stuff that's actually there in Scripture. And the church never really revisited the subject like they should have. But it's vital, sisters and brothers, to living a life that glorifies Christ and keeping us from things that can do us, I mean, grievous harm. Grievous harm. Abstaining from certain behaviors and attitudes is important. That's a piece of it. But then there's the engagement piece, the part of things that God says, you're to do this. So these days we're taught we can't control ourselves. Uh, maybe it may just be a matter of biology. Maybe we're born this way. That however, whoever you're attracted to, your sexual orientation is just your identity, which is way too big of a claim. And to suggest otherwise is traditional at best, hateful at worst, maybe even worse than that somehow. That to suggest that sex is intended to be between a man and a woman exclusively within marriage is narrow-minded or unenlightened. It's the 1.0 version of sexuality in the world. Because we've come so far. And we've done great, haven't we? The universe is so much better because of the things we are. And so we spend half of our time now trying to clean up the messes that we make on a daily basis because we want to do what's good and right in our own eyes. Sex is not opposed to the Spirit. According to the Bible, sex is God's gift to us for our enjoyment within the covenant of marriage. He created our bodies, He created sex, and I think He deserves us an ear. And I don't think that we can claim that we've done such a better job with it that we should keep following our own path rather than going back and at least taking another look at what Scripture has to say on the subject. God did not create the world for our temptation. He created it to reveal Himself to us as we uh, enjoy it according to His plan. And there's a ton that can be learned about God and experienced of God in the wonderful experience of sex. It is not just a duty. It is one of God's most enjoyable and marvelous blessings. When we enjoy a gift of God the way that God wants it to, it glorifies Him. God could have picked almost any way for us to be able to reproduce. When you file your tax return, your wife will get pregnant. I mean, he could have picked almost anything he wanted to, but he picked sex. He picked sex. You know, it's a, it's a sample of his goodness. There are a lot of ways we could stay alive, right? But he gives us the gift of food that tastes good, right? There are things that God gives us to enjoy. The Garden of Eden was given as God intended for the enjoyment of humankind, okay? But we had to do what was right, good and right in our own eyes there. Okay, and, and the world has been a, an interesting place ever since, to put it mildly. So hear me say this, sex is not dirty, sex is not evil. 
And actually to say so is actually a form of blasphemy because you're really declaring bad what God has declared good. Sex is wonderful. It's glorious, in fact, in that it gives glory to God. It's not just for anyone, anytime, any place. Good things in life usually aren't that way. Sex is designed to be had often with great passion between a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. It was given to us by God who loves to give good gifts to His children and as a way of multiplying the earth and filling the earth and as a way of experiencing pleasure that points to God's goodness. So I'm going to give us uh, very quickly this morning uh, two kind of paths. Uh, The spiritual masters over the years have kind of figured uh, there are two uh, kind of ways that you look at the spiritual disciplines. Abstention, meaning we abstain from certain things, and then engagement, things we do, okay? Um, and so really, if you want to do complete and holistic obedience on almost any subject, so for instance, in money, abstention would be something like frugality. I'm choosing not to spend on that, okay? Engagement would be something like generosity. This is what I'm doing. I'm giving it away. I'm, I'm taking a proactive step. And when it comes to walking in obedience to the gospel and, and to the word of God on sexuality, there's both abstention and engagement. Okay, so if you abstain and you don't engage, you're probably not in full obedience to Scripture. If you only engage and you don't abstain, then you have that problem, right? So if I, if I decide, hey, I'm just not going to spend anything, but I'm stingy and I'm, uh, I'm not generous or, or whatever, uh, that's one thing. Or if I'm, a, I'm completely generous, but I spend in a gluttonous way, well, then that's, that's a problem, right? So kind of get where I'm going with that? Let's apply it here to sex. We're going to start. This is a foundational text. Uh, when it comes to the abstention kind of idea. This is 1 Corinthians six eighteen to 20. I love the way that the New Living puts this first line. Run from sexual sin. Let's stop right there. Doesn't he mean dwell on it? No. Doesn't he mean play around with it? Nope. Doesn't he mean... I? It's like going through a gallery. You can look at the painting. That doesn't mean you have to buy it. Dumbest thing I've ever heard a man say in my life. Said by men all over the country. Dumb. <laughs> Women, if you say it, stop saying it. What does it say do? Run. You know why? Because it's difficult to get away from it. You can't even walk away from it. you got to run. Flee, it says in a lot of the texts you've got. Well, wait. I got a boyfriend. He's really pressuring me to do this. Well, then you should keep dating him and just tell him no. No? That's not what it says, does it? Right? Might be a year from now. Might be two years from now. But the chances of you succumbing to sin are pretty good if you stay in that relationship. Okay? No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, get this. Okay? Because this applies to so many aspects of life. Don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Underline and italicize this next one. You do not belong to yourself. The way I memorized it was, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. That's how I memorized it when I was growing up. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So the the teaching of Scripture is that your body's not your own. 
And in fact, if you want to read what the text says, you're not even second place. If you're married, you're third place. 1 Corinthians 7 would suggest that your spouse has dibs second. It'll say, no, don't you know that your body belongs to your spouse? (laughs) So you can't, you know, even as we look at these things, do you understand how different that, that claim is? What do you mean to tell me my body's not my own? Of course it's my own. That's what makes it my body. Not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, God bought you with a price. What price is that? The blood of Christ. So what should I do? I should glorify God with my body. Why? Because it belongs to Him now. I laid it on the altar. My old self is gone. My new self is raised. In 1 Corinthians 7, it will go as far as to say, husband and wife have authority over one another's bodies. So we don't need to buy into the false assumptions of the society in which we live. Society sold us, some of us, on the idea that we can't control our sexual desires and that our body is ours to do with as we please. But, um, but that's just not the case. The idea that having frequent sex outside of marriage or that it's casual or that it's fun or that it's whatever, we've, kind of, we've talked about that a little bit ad nauseum, but you just, I want you to just today... The TV shows you watch, the movies you do, the, 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 the movies you see, um, the messaging in newspapers, media that you, you get. Just, just look for it. It's everywhere. Your decision. Whatever you choose to do with your body is one thing, right? And what it does is it, it trains you to see this, what God gave you, as something that actually belongs to you. It, it becomes the last the Alamo, so to speak, of your own selfishness. And no one will take the Alamo. Look, I'll give you a... I'll gladly offer my family to you. And I'll offer my money to you. And I'll offer, you know, my time to you. But boy, you start messing in here. This is the Alamo, Jack. Well, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. It is an Alamo of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so, allowing anything to come in and defile the temple is something that should be fought against. Not the rights of me to rule the Alamo that I'm in. Uh, I've told you before, there's a, a little play called Lysistrata. And it was given to me as a freshman... I went to Pepperdine Christian College, uh, and it was given to me in an English 101 class. A uh, little, little thing, purple book. You can remember it like it was yesterday. A good boring cover like most Greek plays are, are given. Uh, but Lysistrata, the plot of it is uh, that the women of uh, the Peloponnesian War is going on, and the women of the village are tired of it. And so they get together and they say, Hey, tell you what, let's make a covenant that none of us will sleep with our husbands until they knock off the war. Until they quit. Until they surrender. And so they all make this pledge. And then the, the climax of the story is that in the end, they literally stop the Peloponnesian War. It's over so that they can all have sex with their wives again. Now I want you to think about like the messaging of the, of the story, right? It's a classic. It's read by in nearly every college freshman in America. You can't control your desires, which runs diametrically opposed to the core teaching of Scripture, which is that the power of God's Spirit is stronger than the one who's in the world, and that I'm not my own, 
That's who I used to be. You're right. I used to not be able to. But now I can't. So do we understand how, how backwards, not just our minds work, but even our messaging outside? Hey, look, I want you to know, you need to come to Jesus. It'll change your life. Come to Jesus and you'll be made new. Come to Jesus. He can, make, he can change your life in every single way. Except you have no control over your sexual desires. We need to decide if we actually think the power of God is strong or if it's not. That's a decision the church needs to make. And if we think it is, then the question becomes then, okay, to all the, all the folks that are in here that are in some sort of slavery or addiction or whatever, and it's men and women, by the way. It used to be like 7 or 8% of women were looking at porn. Now it's like 30%. Okay. Whether it's pornography, whether it's affairs or adultery, whether it's thought world that's not where it needs to be, uh, whether it's flirtation in the workplace, whether it's, I mean, gosh, there's just a, a, just a manifold number of these things that you, and you probably know where it is. God certainly knows where it is in your own life. I want you to hear this this morning. God can give you victory over it. He can give you victory over it. He wants to give you victory over it. Okay? By the power of God, be free. All right? Now, with that goes... Um, you know, the Bible's teaching on how to resist the, the Spirit empowering us toward holiness. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something you just do through grit. Uh, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And then you have engagement, which is a much more fun part of the story. Uh, nobody likes to do without. Everybody likes to, to engage things. And so the good news for you is that with regards to sex, within the, the confines of marriage between a man and a woman, the Bible gives great liberty. Uh, and actually encourages you to do certain things. Now, we're about to read some passages that, again, this is, these are, this is Scripture, so don't shoot the messenger. I didn't write it. If you think it's too risque, take it up with God. Here we go. Proverbs five fifteen to 23. Listen to the warning here. Okay, This is a warning to... Uh, Proverbs is a book largely written to young men who are in training to be in royalty or in the elite parts of the palace. And there is just constant... Uh, admonitions to them to be very careful about where they go sexually. Um, so check this out. Proverbs five fifteen to 23. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the street, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Other translations say intoxicated. I love that. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch him and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. So there's the warning. It's kind of a hinge between abstain. Don't do this. Do this. And then you go on to the engagement piece, that, that second part. Be intoxicated or captivated by your wife or husband. Song of Solomon chapter 7, if you want to flip over there. Very risque, steamy chapter. Uh, it begins with the 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 guy. Uh, you have two lovers, and he basically starts at her feet and just works his way up her body, describing what he likes about her. 
okay? And by the time that you get to, to uh, chapter 7, verse 6, he says this, and then she starts to respond. Oh, how beautiful you are! How pleasing, my love! How full of delights! You are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like... I got some amens there. That's funny. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May, may, don't keep amen in, Scott. <laughs> oh. Yeah, same people keep saying amen, all right? You know who they are. Uh, <laughs> I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. Uh, may your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. Yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's and he claims me as my own. Now, So, so they, they flip the tables now. Now she starts talking. And he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards and see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates have bloomed. And there I will give you my love. There the mandrakes give off their fragrance and the finest fruits are at our door, new delights as well as old, which I have saved for you, uh, my lover. So again, this is like, this is a biblical way of helping us understand how two lovers within the confines of what God has given us, um, what the experience ought to be like. It's not bad. In fact, uh, by the time that you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's such a strong impulse that the Scriptures really encourage us. I know uh, this, is, this is a really challenging one and deserves more explanation than I can give it right now. Okay, So throw, just give me some grace on this. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about people not withholding sex from one another within marriage, except by mutual consent and for prayer, the reason is he knows that, that it can create a stumbling block. And I'm also going to say this because I know that there are, are people uh, all over America who weaponize sex inside the marriage. You're playing with real fire there, and you're walking out of obedience to the Word of God. Now, if there are underlying issues that make that a problem or a challenge, then let's, let, let's work on those. Let's work on those. Um, so here we go. We need to understand our sexuality as a serious part of our discipleship without making sex more important than it is. Christ and not our bodies, kids, or, or even our marriage. The, the, the foundation of our life is actually Christ. It's not my body. It's not my marriage. It's not any of that. Christ is the foundation. That means I'm not my own. That means I'm trying to glorify God with my body. That means I do whatever it is that God wants me to do. And so Jesus then comes along and tries to teach me to desire rightly. Amen. And he says, and Paul and Peter and all the New Testament authors, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when two people in marriage come together, there's this restoration of what happens at the fall. It's the way it should have been in the Garden of Eden when we did our own thing. Could have been there, still be there. Oh, gone it. You know? They're there, they're naked, and they're unashamed. And when people are walking in obedience sexually to God, that's the experience that they ought to have with one another, naked and unashamed. In the Eden of, of the marital covenant. 
when two people in marriage come together, it restores that brokenness at the fall. God is glorified. When two people come together outside of marriage, it's more of an expression of the fall. So here are some steps that, that we can take if you're in a, a difficult spot this morning. First step, repent and get to the underlying issues. A lot of times there are underlying issues in these things that um, talking to a therapist can help with, talking to a friend can help with, talking to a pastor can help with. Uh, but get to the underlying issues, the things underneath it that, that bring that um, up to the front, make it difficult for you. I, I do want to say that grace is available, and I have seen some absolutely um, miraculous turnarounds from people. Right. Marriages where, where things have been blown to pieces by sexual sin, coming back together, and then leading ministries together and doing things like that. God brought healing and reconciliation. And to people that were mired so deep in things uh, that, that even the biggest optimist would have gone, okay, they're going to have, I know God can do anything, but he's going to have his hands full here. Those kind of triumphs, those kind of victories, it is possible. And at a practical level, perhaps thinking about ways that you can purify your thought world. Uh, most of us, I was sitting there so several years ago, uh, I was actually at a church Super Bowl party with a bunch of you. And uh, I'm in the backyard, it's halftime, so it's kind of like, okay, we were all in the house, now we're out in the backyard. Uh, and I'm scrolling through Twitter, and uh, a pastor by the name of Kevin DeYoung is on there. Beyonce was doing the halftime show that year. And he just said, brothers, this halftime show is not likely to lead to your sanctification. <laughs> he just dropped it on us, and everybody was like, and it was funny. Uh, so I read it out loud to a couple of the other guys that were standing there. We all kind of chuckled. And then all of our wives go in to watch the halftime show, and they want us to go in. And we're like, oh, we're good. We're good. You know? <laughs> It was one of those things that's just simply making a decision not to put yourself in a position where, where you're going to be tempted. You know, there's something, there's something instructive about what Joseph does when he flees Potiphar's wife. Instead of just staying in the house, what does it say? Run away from sexual sin. Run away from it. Run away from it. Flee it. You know, Martin Luther was right. You know, you, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. Um, and that's very much the way it is. Uh, it's very sound advice for men and women alike. If you are having a flirtatious relationship with somebody, if you are DMing somebody right now that you are that is not your spouse and they're a member of the opposite sex and you guys are getting too close today, cut it off, knock it off, get out of it. End of story. If you're married and you allow sexual thoughts about someone other than the one you're in marital covenant with, you're feeding desires in you that you do not want fed. You're also spending sexual energy and intimacy on somebody else that's meant for your spouse. And ultimately, that's going to end up hurting sex within the marriage and fan the wrong flames into um, into flame. On the engagement side, believe that God wants you to enjoy the blessings of sex. Seek to enjoy your spouse. Don't withhold and actually work on cultivating your sex life. See, Martha, I told you I like that church, right? I mean, <laughs> seriously, cultivate it. Like, actually look at it as an area of discipleship, okay? Where we are in this to try to keep each other holy. God has given us his gifts to each other. Uh, and so we're going to do everything that we can to cultivate that. So... I'm going to ask uh, 
at this time. I'm going to ask those who are going to be serving to do that. But our communion prayer is going to be different this morning. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask a prayer of healing on on everybody in this room Amen. and on the marriages in this room. Uh, and I pray uh, as I pray, we're going to do this out of a spirit of um, wanting to be holy in the sight of God. Uh, there is a, a, an aspect of it that that Christ has made us holy, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're living in sin, uh, you need to repent. And I want you to walk out of here today feeling like you're more free than you were when you walked in. That's the aim, okay? That's the aim. It's not guilt. It's freedom. All right. So in just a moment, they're going to uh, pass the, the bread and the cup around. And as we do, as they do, let us pray.